man, I'll tell you the wealth of information and books and research and papers that they have to be sitting on with over a hundred years of research and everybody that was involved. I would, I would, t- man, if you want to get something for Christmas, give me a ticket to go over there and spend like a week locked up in a library somewhere. I mean, I yeah, would, no I would love, I can't even imagine. Yeah. Story in the news today. You believe in ghosts and the paranormal? Now, are they are they UFOs or are they like some crazy experimental, you know, governmental? I don't uh, know. Planes that they're building. And police in Española are catching more than just criminals. They're catching images of what they believe are ghosts. Weird animal-like creature that was shot, wolf-like creature that just stood out in some odd ways. And welcome to Strange Uncles. I'm Shane. I'm Josh. What's going on, man? Oh, you know, living, living the dream. <laughs> living the dream. Uh, yeah, no shit. Same here. Um, a lot of stuff going on in life and just in the world per se. So my God, I, I gotta, I tell you, dude, I, 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 I'm sure I said this before on the podcast, but I have got to cut my cord on news like there, you know, certain things <laughs> happen and you just, you're enthralled and it's like, but it really brings you down. It's like, holy oh, shit, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, the world's a fucking weird, shitty place. Yeah. Yeah, not good. Not sometimes, good like, sometimes you just got to say, you know what? I know there's fucked up shit going on. I'm, I'm just going to live in my bubble for a little bit. I mean, nothing what, what I can do, do about it. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's just, you know, you always want to be an attribute of some sort in, in life and in the world. But, but I'll tell you what, especially when shit happens, it's like, what what, what went on? What, who did what? Why are they doing that? It, it's just insane. It's yeah. insane. Yeah. So... Anyway, but welcome everybody to my um, self and analysis, I guess, over on my site. Welcome <laughs> to Strange Jungles. Um, we, so number one, Halloween season's on us. Um, we've got a few episodes coming up, and I think we really haven't talked about this technically, I think, but you know, every year we do, you know, we take a hiatus a little bit, um, you know, refuel. Uh, usually this time, you know, people are busy with families and stuff like that. So we kind of use it for that time frame to just, uh, you know, let's go ahead and take a month or so off. And, and maybe we'll throw out some oddities on there if we've got some in the barrel. But, you know, as far as full-blown write-ups uh, or regular episodes, um, probably take a break. And we'll come back at you in January. So that's kind of usually what we do, right, I think. so. Yeah, yeah. We usually take the holiday season or Q4 in business parlance off um because traditionally that's been when uh you know we're the most strapped for time yeah oh for sure yeah like i said i don't know you don't have as big of a family as i do with the weiss fam but my god dude it's like every single weekend there's something on the calendar it's just there's too much you know and the wife loves christmas so of course you know i'm i'm um Yeah, you're going to all sorts right, of Christmas parties. Right, yeah, that, and then decorating and shit like that, what she wants to do. It's just a thing, you know. Like, we get a tree every year. We don't go to the tree lots. You know, we get a, a Forest Service ticket. We go up into the woods. Usually we go to, like, a, if we're back from Montana, we'll grab a tree up somewhere. We'll, you know, that's just, it's tradition on our side. But it's time-consuming, nonetheless. But Yeah. Anyway, but I hate Christmas. After Halloween's over, as far as I'm concerned, the, ho- the holidays are dead. <clears throat> but the wife has other <laughs> things in mind, so there's that. But I guess that's what they call compromise. <laughs> yeah, I get the, the best you're going to get on my side, honey. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is what it is. So anyway. I won't complain. How about that? Yeah, right. I'll shut my mouth. Don't look me in the face because I'm going to have a pissy look on my face the whole time. Don't judge me. But I will be there to support. Just just give me that. That's all I ask. <laughs> so, you know, there's that. Anyway. But uh, welcome, everyone. So, yeah, this is an episode. This one actually is kind of cool. I Well, so I got to admit, and, and, you know, throwing your two cents, too. Um, you know, this isn't something we've been kicking around for a long time. This is just something that kind of popped up, I guess. And both you and I were like, oh, shit, let's do a thing on this guy because it's kind of cool what he was involved in, you know? Yeah, and it's somewhat in the zeitgeist. Oh, yeah, for sure. Know? For sure. You know, and there's tons of this type of character that we can cover um, that's been involved in it. You know, like I said, it's just a matter of bringing them to light. 
the some of the cases he was involved in I've heard of, especially one that will kind of reference, I think, what got us into this. Some of the organizations too, for better or worse, that yep, he was involved sure. with. Yep. Um like I, I would be I didn't go back and re listen because I didn't want to. Um, <laughs> but I wouldn't be surprised if his name came up when we were talking about like some of the old timey paranormal research institution i was trying to wonder if we did if we did drop his name like we covered the whole original ghost society and things like yeah that. i'm wondering it may maybe maybe we he had he had ties to some of those so i would i wouldn't be surprised if if we've briefly mentioned him at some point um somewhere but, along the along the lines yeah for yeah because sure. like uh well i mean there's no reason to beat around the bush about it um we saw a movie based on mm. one of this guy's the cases that this guy investigated um Nandor Fodor and uh and that was kind of what made us go oh maybe we should talk about this and and when mm-hmm. i was looking into it a little bit and they were talking about like some of those old uh, uh original i guess you could say ghost societies and stuff like right, uh, right. like Sir Arthur Conan like, Doyle and those guys you know yeah, yeah like yeah. when i saw when i saw uh uh my brain suddenly forgot how to speak English. Um, when I saw when I saw the trailer for this movie originally, I was like, "That dude's name sounds familiar. Is he a real guy?" Yeah, yeah. Because it's a period piece, yeah. so I like looked it up and was like, "Oh, weird." I'll be damned. There he is. Yeah. Well, and we'll talk about the movie towards the end. I think you know because it, it was really good. Yeah, you know, especially if anybody out there is a Simon Pegg fan. Um, yeah. Completely flew under the radar. I'll be honest with you, man. I don't think I would have caught it if you weren't like shooting the shit with it in group. And I'm like, oh wait a minute, I. So I looked it up, and and it was it's a really good movie. But it, again, anything Simon Pegg is in, I'm a sucker for. So you know, there's that. But, yeah, even if the movie's not great, he's still usually pretty good at it. Yep, for sure. You know his role in Scotty and the new Star Trek remakes are fucking hilarious. God, I love him. He's such a good character. Anyway, but yeah, it was off a movie, and it's off one of those cases. And we'll cover the case a little bit in detail. So I think um, you know, again, you mentioned Nandor Faldor, um, an amazing individual. Uh, I guess we can we can open the gates and then you want to kick it off on your side about kind yeah, of the guy we'll give and, some of his background. Yeah, we'll go from there. Awesome. Let's uh, let's get into it. Open the gates, everyone. So uh, Nandor Fodor was a British and American parapsychologist, which is a really weird way to say he was a pretty cosmopolitan dude. Uh, He was born on May 13th, 1895 and died on May 17th, 1964, which uh, did make him 69 years old. Oh, boy. (laughs) Yeah. If you're going to go, that's the way to do it. (laughs) Oh, man. Um, He was also a psycho analyst, author, and journalist of Hungarian origin. So he was born in uh, Berekszads, Hungary. I'm sure I did not say that right. Um, Better than I could have said it. Really interesting dude. Like like I said, he's called a British and American parapsychologist, but he was born in Hungary. He got around. He did a lot of things. Oh, for um, sure. For sure. And what's weird about this, too, and I'll throw a quick note. We'll cover some yeah. of his cases. He... His his pick of what not only was he parapsychologist, but he was that after the fact. But having yeah. a parapsychologist and you're also a psychoanalyst, that's a weird combo. And, I thought. Uh he originally was a lawyer. He received his doctorate in law, which I didn't oh. know was a thing. Yeah, I didn't yeah. know you could be a PhD lawyer. <laughs> that's weird. Um, but uh yeah. He received his doctorate in law from the Royal Hungarian University of Science in Budapest. Um and he worked as a journalist in New York for a while. Then he moved to Britain in 1929, where he worked for a newspaper company. So, you know, uh, journalist, psychoanalyst, uh, so a lawyer, Swiss, a Swiss Army knife of sorts, right? You know, <laughs> yeah. And this isn't even getting to like what was really interesting about him yet. Um, he became a leading authority on poltergeists, hauntings, and other paranormal phenomenon, typically associated with mediumship. Uh, in the early mid 1900s. So like, while wow, he was working as a journalist and, and uh, 
newspaper man, he um kind of got into uh into the paranormal. Mm-hmm. Um he was at one time Sigmund Freud's associate. Um, which is crazy so, in its own yeah, right. like what a fucking small world, right? Yeah, yeah. Um he wrote on subjects like pre uh prenatal development and dream interpretation, which is super weird and interesting. We'll we'll cover um, a little bit, I think, later on because I've never I'll be honest with you, I never heard like I've heard of the term, but I never associated that with this kind of field, right? Yeah, I'll be interested to dive into that because my guess is it's kind of like past live stuff, but I don't know, or like <laughs> how you're supposed to get send positive vibes to your baby. I don't know. Yeah. The hippy dippy, you know, play music on your belly type thing, you know, whatever. But yeah, yeah. he was one of the foremost um, authorities in that. Well, and also keep in mind, I'll throw another side note out that, you know, this is the turn of the century. And so, and we've covered them before, but the original Ghostbusters, basically the uh, society that's out of England, they got founded again. I, I want to say, Sir Arthur Cannon Doyle was part of that. Um, There's other popular, like Houdini wasn't really part of it, but he was involved within that group just because he was trying to debunk mediums and all this shit because they lied to him yeah. about his mom and all this crap. But this was all kind of the same time frame. Like, so this whole field was young. Like there really wasn't a lot of investigation or research into it. I feel like Nand, I think he just stepped into it at the right time to go, okay, yeah. cool. And some of his viewpoints, which we'll cover in cases were radically not even like a lot of people poo pooed him because he was kind of ahead of his time on some of how he looked at things. So I yeah. thought that was kind of interesting, but yeah, absolutely. Um, so I mentioned the prenatal development and dream interpretation. He's also credited uh, mostly for his magnum opus encyclopedia of psychic science first published in 1934. I actually really want to read that. I tried to order it and it's not available. <laughs> so I got, I got to find it in some way or shape or form, but anyway, damn it. Yeah. Um, Let's see. Uh, So he had one foot in academia and one in the paranormal. He was uh, the London correspondent for the American Society of of Psychical Research, uh, one of those uh, societies of note Mm -hmm. from 1935 to 39. Um, He worked as an editor for the Psychoanalytic Review and was a member of the New York Academy of the Sciences. So uh, This is, um, and this will probably come up for me like a million times, but, uh, this is like also a throwback to why the Victorian era, early to mid 20th century is, uh, one of my favorites when it comes to like looking at science because they were less, science was less walled off and less, uh, like said it, it was more open to like weird ideas than it seems to be these days. You I, know I get, I, mean? I get what you're saying. It wasn't so. It really wasn't fringe back then. Now it's French because now there's clear barriers, right? And some people really yeah. put up a huff. Back then they were just looking for answers, and so I think, like you to your point, that wall was a lot lower at the turn of the century. You know, for what that yeah. looked like. Yeah, it was it was still like this is unexplained. Let's try and explain it. Less that's unexplained because it's like children's stories. You dumb fuck. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. Fine line in the sand. Um, so <laughs> in the thirties, uh, he was way into the paranormal. By the forties, he had become somewhat disillusioned. Uh, he advocated uh, psychoanalytic approach to psychic phenomena. He also published skeptical newspaper articles on mediumship, which caused upset among the spiritualist and uh, some of the paranormal societies he had previously been tied to. Oh, boy. Um, yeah, he pissed off yeah. a lot of people that which we'll cover that a couple of cases. So Josh is kind of covering the man and, and I'll go. And yeah, cover the broad the cases, strokes. But yeah, yeah, it's uh, pissed off is is a <laughs> yeah, it's a fine word for sure. So. Yeah. So um, I've got a few a uh, couple more points of of just his bio and then we'll get into some of his casework and talk about uh the the real meat and potatoes of it but um fodor pioneered the theory that poltergeists are external manifestations of conflicts within the subconscious mind rather than autonomous entities with minds of their own uh which as far as i know this is pretty widely accepted in paranormal fields today um, today it you is. know like yeah 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 like you look back like they'll, they'll always talk about how poltergeist activity tends to center around like prepubescent and adolescent mm-hmm. typically young women you know yep. that usually have trauma and stuff yep. so the emotional distress things like that like that it's equated to it now but he was one of the first ones back in the day to go oh wait a minute has anybody thought about this and yep again he got a lot of you know no that's bullshit 
from a lot of the you know cat people in the academy for sure but yeah yeah uh he proposed that poltergeist disturbances are caused by human agents suffering from some form of emotional stress or tension and compared reports of poltergeist activity to hysterical conversion symptoms resulting from emotional tension of the subject which is interesting that uh if i understand it right hysterical conversion are basically religious experiences Mm. right yeah so it's kind of like the opposite side of that coin of 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 like religious ecstasy right right right. um so uh let's see i think that gets us caught up to about where he was uh or who he was as a person Um, i mean amazing man i mean like the swiss army knife type of a guy um i i will add to on that i did stumble on another note here you know because like you said you know he started he started as a journalist he started something completely different um, it was actually a book written by Hereward Carrington. It was a book called Modern Psychic Phenomena, written in 1919. That's what intrigued him enough to go, oh, I want to look into this and study it. And that's kind of what got me in, into the psychical research uh, and make that his primary thing for the rest of his life was that one book. Um, then, of course, because of that, like you mentioned, you know, he was, you know, Freud was part of that and all this other stuff. Uh, he did actually have another influence. Uh, it was meeting a Sandor Ferenzi. Uh, another psychoanalyst and associate of Sigmund Freud, which you mentioned, um, he interviewed in 1926. The, it says, meeting stimulated his interest in psychoanalysis so much um, that that's exactly how we approach everything. So, you know, I don't know. It's weird, you know, how our lives take like a certain road path, but it takes like one or two things to make us go, oh, wait a minute. And all of a sudden we're on a different road. And this is what this guy did. You know, he went down yeah. a completely different road than I think his, I'm sure his dad wanted him to go down at the end of the day, but <laughs> eh, what are you going to do? You know? So yeah, for sure. But yeah, interesting. And, uh, so the man and the myth, um, we're going to battle back and forth on some cases. I think the cases was the interesting thing. And, and especially with, with, uh, with him, he, you know, the approach that he took was different. So Josh, you mentioned the whole thing about, you know, he had a different theory in poltergeist. Um, mm-hmm. we're going to break that down a bit. So again, you know, just to cover, you know, he had, he had this whole theory that it was subconscious mind rather than autonomous entities that are just, you know, they have minds of their own. Uh, he proposed that poltergeist disturbances are caused by human agents suffering from some form, which you, you covered. Um, there was some quotes here too. So according to a one Rosemary Gilly, uh, Fodor asserted that the psychosis was an episodic mental disturbance of schizophrenic character. God damn. Say that fucking real quick. Three times. Lots, lots of, Ugh. Big words. Lots of big words slammed together. And that Mrs. Forbes' unconscious mind, and this is one of the main cases where he drew this conclusion, um, was responsible for the activities finally determined to be fraudulent. Fodor eventually identified the cause, asexual trauma that had occurred in Mrs. Forbes' childhood and had been repressed. Uh, because he was skeptical of the case, Fodor was heavily criticized by spiritualists, go figure, and was right. dismissed from his post of an international institute for psychical research, which was a bummer. And this is where he, a lot of his cases, he ran into walls and he pissed a lot of people off. And we're going to cover a few of those. Um, uh, the spiritist Arthur Finlay, uh, who founded the institute, did not approve of his research and resigned. Fardo was attacked in the spiritualist newspaper, Psychic News, uh, which he sued for libel, which is good for him. You know, he, yeah, that's where his lawyermanship turned into, I guess. Right. <laughs> right. So anyway, um, so he started doing papers. You know, Josh had covered his book, which we'll cover a little bit, you know, later on. But he started doing a lot of research papers, um, tons of them, actually. So he published two scientific papers on poltergeist phenomena to explain his case and how he looked at these things. Um, the psychoanalytic approach to the problems of occultism uh, in 1945 and the poltergeist psychoanalyzed in 1948. Quote, the poltergeist is not a ghost. It is a bundle of projected repressions, unquote, he stated. With the psychical research, Horrid Carrington, which we covered earlier, um, actually uh, forward co-authored Haunted People, Story of the Poltergeist Down the Centuries in 1951. Uh, the book was received fairly positive reviews for the first time. Again, you know, he had this theory back in the late 30s. So him putting out the paperwork to back it up. I, I think that was a question I had. And I don't was going to ask you. You know, it, it's weird because as much stuff as he had out, from what I could catch of the guy, he really, there's a lot of breaks in time, you know, like a decade at a yeah. time where he actually decided, okay, now he's going to publish reports, papers, he's going to do this. He spent a lot of time just kind of watching and coming up with these ideas and his conclusions of what, you know, he thought of. So, 
I don't yeah. know. He, he seems like a dude who arrived at his skepticism because he was watching and observing and realizing that a lot of the, especially, you know, talking about mediumship and the spiritualists mm-hmm. and especially in that time period, a lot of them were frauds. Like oh, just yeah. 100%. Completely bullshit, you know. Um, or even if they had like some, say like 2% of what they said was like actual real stuff. They dressed it up in so much theatricality, you know, cause that's how they made their money oh, that yeah. it, it just made everything they say seem, uh, like it was fake if, uh, they got caught with any of that, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like if you, you might be telling the truth, but if you add a bunch of stage dressing to it, it makes the truth unbelievable. So even if they're not frauds, they look like frauds. Exactly. I guess is what I'm trying to say. It, no, and you're and you know what? Honestly, that shit goes on to this day. It's just different use of tools, right? I mean, really, yeah. some of it. Back then, I, I'd see, and it fascinates me too. And we've covered. Well, we've had the the oh God. What was it? The author that wrote the Left Hand, where she actually went to a spiritualist camp for the summer. Yes. And, Boy, that would just, I mean, that shit is still happening to this day. Like it, thousands of people go. And, and again, I'm not going to, you know, we talk about this. I'm not going to say, you know, being a medium is all bullshit. I, I think there, maybe there's some legitimate, but boy, man, if you put it on a scale, 90% of it is, in my personal opinion, just shit. I mean, you know, the shows and the fucking, the, what is it? The Rhode Island Psychic or wherever the hell it is, or the Long Island Long Medium. Island Medium. I just, Aubrey I mean, like, I know you said that. I was like, Jesus. It drives Christ. me nuts whenever that's on. I'm just like, oh, I hate You, you got to walk out so oh, much. My God. Um, well, and again, it's because a lot of this stuff that's done, whether, whether like, it starts this way or ends this way, but when it's done with mm. entertainment as one of the driving factors, it's the same problem you have with all the ghost hunter shows, oh, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Like if you have accurate representation where most of the investigations don't turn up anything really meaningful, mm-hmm. no one's going to fucking watch that no, for more than two no. episodes. It's fucking boring. So they got to find something, yeah. but, and I think it would go a long way to the credibility. Sorry, I'm old man yelling at cloud right now, but <laughs> I, I think it would go a lot to, to help with the credibility of some of those things. And, and some of those researchers, if the shows themselves said, Hey, uh, 99% of the time we don't find shit. Mm-hmm. We know you don't want to see that cause it's boring. Right. So here's the, here are the hits. Yeah. Like yeah. every case is not like this. Like, thank up you. Front, at at you least know. have some fucking heart on your sleeve with it, right? I mean, look, yeah, it's fucking boring sitting around listening to 20 hours of audio footage and video footage where there's nothing. I yeah. get it. I get it. You know, but at the same time, at least be forthright with it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I would totally be on board with a show like that if you were just, look, you know, a lot of people think this is bullshit and a lot of it is fucking boring, but uh, this is TV and we know it is. So here's some things that we have caught, but here's hundreds and hundreds of hours of things that we did not catch. Yeah, you know? summed up in like five, uh, five minute run through of yeah. like watching, like actually, fuck, what was the like original behind the one? scenes almost, you know, type the original thing. one on, on History Channel, I think it was. Uh, was it Are Taps? They- yeah, with them it was called like I think it was called Ghost Hunters, but um, oh, but it yeah. was the Taps team. Um, that's like where they got like famous. It was the mm-hmm. first like yep. one I that I remember anyway of those shows. And uh, I remember back in the day, it would show them sitting at a table for like forty eight hours, scouring through all the footage and oh, and, and data they gathered while they were uh, investigating, and they'd like stop and be like, "Oh, check this out," and then try mm-hmm. and disbunk it try and debunk it or mm. like you know like they like you would sh- see during their investigations where it's like oh that door slammed i don't know check and see if any windows are open like all that kind of stuff right you know? right um and they would do that again with all the data they would go back through it and when they'd hear something on an evp or something they'd be like well could it be you know the heater yeah exactly um, stuff like yeah. that you yeah. know which kind of did that a little bit, and then about the time one of the main dudes left, they stopped doing that on that show. Well, and then after that ghost event, you know, the whole Zach Baggins thing took over, and we're not even go down that road. I, I've been to his museum. Yes, it's very, very interesting, but uh, anyway, it, it's fluff. Yeah, you know, we say fluff, it's all fluff. <laughs> eh, you know, TLDR, uh, the networks and the producers of those shows could manage the uh, incredulity and how tedious most of it is a little better. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also like the people that watch that shit need to also remember that most of the time 
the yeah. investigations don't. But, but the problem is they don't. And and again, not to get sidestep here, but you know, it's crazy how many like Mike that runs the uh, Okor Paranormal uh, Group. I, you know, he gets he gets at least ten or fifteen emails weekly asking for a show, asking you know people just producers reaching out wanting to find the next best hit. I mean, it's it's he's inundated with it all the time. You know, to the so it it's not going to go away anytime soon. I do say, and I've said it in the past, that it does run in flux. Like sometimes it kind of peaks and ebbs and flows depending on you know people's interests. Obviously, this time of year, you know, you're surrounded with the Travel Channel. But in general, mm-hmm. this is kind of you know, like I would I want to say three or four years ago, it was a thing. Um, now it's kind of died down. Not many people, you know, there are people out there, but it's not as, it just kind of, it's weird. Yeah. It's a bell curve, well, and, you know? And, yeah. To tie it back into some of this psychoanalytical stuff and to poltergeist being a projection of conflicts within the self subconscious. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that that does have something to do with kind of the cyclical nature of all this, right? Like, yeah, part of it is ratings and like, you know, what's old is new again kind of shit. Right, but right. I think a lot of it too is like, I think that activity is sometimes cyclical, you know, like agreed. People yeah. get distracted and mm-hmm. aren't putting so much energy into it and the activity drops off. Or, you know, you look at uh, uh, like Skinwalker Ranch back in the day. Um, when like the NIDS days, when they said like that sometimes it would just go dormant. Yeah, like yeah, it was for like, like years I'm at a time. bored with you idiots. I'm yeah, yeah, out. You yeah, know? and and that that's um, a very good example because it did go dormant for over a decade. You know when the Sherman sold, and there's nothing. Yeah, you know, and then Bigelow just kind of lost interest and sold to you know what's his face, and here we are again. You know, um, yeah. By the way, I got to catch up on that show. I'm behind. I'm way behind. Uh, uh, it's still really fun. I recommend is it? it. Okay. Yeah. And we've talked about it before. I think it's cool because I like how they approach it. I like the different, it's just not like one thing. They're trying to chase a ghost or they're trying to chase They're looking. They, there's anomalies all over the place and it, it keeps you interested. Right. So, yeah. you know, there's that, but uh side seat anyway, sorry folks, but it's <laughs> kind of how it is. Um, there is, so we're going to dive a little bit pre, you mentioned the prenatal thing that, that was interesting. So, uh, Fodder's work, <clears throat> he had a book called the search for the Blove, 1949 has been described as an influential text in the field of prenatal psychology. Now one to ask what that is, because I've heard of the term, <clears throat> excuse me, but I don't know. I don't know what that is. So basically a uh, prenatal and perinatal psychology explores the psychological and psycho psychophysiological effects and implications of the earliest experiences of the individual before birth or prenatal, as well as during and immediately after childbirth or perinatal. Uh, Although there are various perspectives on the topic, a common thread is the importance of prenatal and perinatal experiences in the shaping the future of psychological development. In a nutshell, basically, you mentioned earlier before we started recording a little bit of past life stuff, um, possibly, a lot of this is uh, from the babies already gaining a personality in the stomach with what is the outside surroundings of, and that is crucial. You know, does a mom listen to Beethoven, you know, crank it, lay it on my belly, the kid's going to, you know, people have this thing where, you know, that's really where they're developing their thought patterns, their personality patterns at a certain point is even before they're out. It's not the life yeah. experiences of them. Okay, now they're a toddler. They learn to fall. And they know that hurts. Da da da. You know, growing up. No, it starts from. It starts before, and nobody really knows why. So he had all these things Fondor about um, that was interesting to him, like trying to prove no. There's a lot more before the baby even is born into the world um, that we really should look at and do- and document a lot of time behind it too, which is uh, which is crazy. So. Um, other cases too. So he actually, we mentioned uh, the Sander Ferenzi uh, was one. Uh, again, wrote a book. He interviewed him. Uh, John mentioned of, he was a Sigmund Freud's assistant, which is really kind of cool. And the following year, with that being said, this whole timeline, Fodder had what he calls his first encounter with the dead at a seance with William Carthauser. Voice made him in New York City. Uh, Fodor received a very moving and evidential direct voice communication from his dead father. Many years later, he would become disillusioned with the mediumship of Cardhauser, but never forgot the overwhelming emotional impact of that first seance. He wrote a detailed account of it published in his book, The Haunted Mind, in 1959. And, you know, we really just talked about that in a nutshell. This is how mediums kind of get you. You know, it's, it's an, they, they tap on that emotional bank and that emotional vein, and that's how it is. So, you know, it's same thing with Houdini. 
You know, he wanted so bad to talk to his dead mother until he caught the medium cheating. And then he was so disillusioned and pissed off, he spent the rest of his career trying to debunk mediums. Like, literally charading, hiding in the in the audiences like he wasn't Houdini, waiting for them to do something, and running up on stage and tipping over the table and slapping them, whatever he was doing. Yeah. He was pissed. There's a, you know. a fun scene in the movie where, uh, oh, Christopher Lloyd's in the movie also. He plays... Uh, colleague i guess you would say of oh Fodor's. yeah yeah which is good seeing um, him that's awesome and they're talking about this case that he's about to embark in that we'll get to later that part's not important mm-hmm. for for this but uh christopher lloyd's character tells him how much fodor reminds him of houdini because of the whole that. wanting to debunk <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah uh uh the mediums and stuff and and uh that anyway that scene's pretty fun <laughs> Follow Strange Uncles down the rabbit hole of the wild and bizarre as they uncover history that shouldn't be talked about, topics that don't fit into the norm, and conspiracies that sometimes run amok. Find our website at mystrangeuncles.com, follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Strange Uncles, or check out our YouTube channel, Strange Uncles Podcast, where we are adding new content every week. Open the gates. Yeah, it, it's, um, so the movie we're talking about, we'll talk in detail about the case, because it was one one of his main cases, not the biggest one, but it was pretty good. Um, it was uh, Nandor Fodor and the Talking Mongoose, I believe. Uh, you can find, I found on Prime. Yeah. I don't know where you got it, but it, it's, really uh, good. it's really good. I watched it on uh, Apple TV. I don't, I don't think it's free anywhere, so I rented it, but it was like seven bucks or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's well worth the rent for sure. Mini drivers yeah. in it too. Again, we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit more, yeah. you know, down the road. Um, so, Josh, you mentioned his book. So a little bit of talk about his book. Um, this is when he compiled. So this is around the 1929-1932 time frame. Uh, he was actually, you know, working with Sigmund Freud, meeting these other people, meeting Sir Arthur Cannon Doyle, meeting, you know, he belonged to the American Psychical Research Institute. Of course, we covered the English version, which was before them. The American mm-hmm. was just a spinoff, right? Um, so he was rubbing shoulders, basically, in this time frame with all these people and all this stuff going on. So he decided he was going to compile the book, um, the Encyclopedia of Psychic Science. It was a phenomenal undertaking for one man and took him several years. When it appeared in 1934, Fodor himself explained uh, how he came to undertake his task. He wrote, I was struck by the fact when I began my studies in psychical research 11 years ago that the inquirer is faced by an endless repetition as he goes on. I wanted a guide and started to make an index of my own. What we need is a standard of work which, in a dispassionate, detached, impersonal manner, presents all the facts of history, research, phenomena, and mediumship, in which, at a minute's notice, we can lay our hands on every important fact. So he kind of compiled it just to go, shit, things are a mess. I need to organize this, right? Yeah. And so that's what he did. Um, good description of the book, basically. Uh, there's no doubt that after 30 years, this book still stands, which it is because, again, I, I can't find it. Um, I got to dig into a little bit more. But anyway, he uh, other attributes here. So he was invited to a lecture on spiritualism and psychical research. And this is kind of funny because he... <laughs> I'll tell the story because I, I thought it was great. In February 1934, became assistant editor under David Gow of Light, the oldest British spiritualist journal. It is still in existence, now published by the College of Psychic Science in London. And the autumn of 1964 issue carried a fine tribute to Fodor from Miss Mercy Fillimore, who was associated with his early book, her work in Britain. In those days, although Fodor was a brilliant journalist and could read and write English with ease, he had difficulty in actually speaking the language. So this uh, Mercy Fillimore recalls, she, <laughs> he never failed to speak and was first up when the chairman declared the discussion open. This was the occasion for a friendly titter from the audience, for his words gushed forth, indeed splashed forth, in torrents at terrific speed, and in the whirl of sounds were many amusing mistakes. He was quite willing to learn about his errors of speech and joined in the fun. Through the help of the London Spiritual Alliance, Photo was able to take part in the research experience with mediums. Uh, his happy enthusiasm at being able to witness a phenomena which he previously only studied in his books is amusing. So evidently, he was a motor mouth, it sounds like. He would <laughs> love to share his shit <laughs> with whoever was going to listen. Um, yeah. But it was kind of crazy. Uh, so in June 1934, uh, this was important psycho research in Britain. 
On June 6, the University of London Council for Psychical Investigation was founded to take over the work of the National Laboratory of Psychical Research, which we, we covered, and which was founded by Harry Price in 19... Oh, shoot, we forgot to talk about that guy. Harry Price in 1925. Uh, Price presented yeah. the council with his library, laboratory, and equipment. He had carried out interesting investigations, but on the whole, spirits was subjected to laboratory tests by skeptical investigators and scientists. In a vigorous newspaper article, veteran spiritualist Hannah and Swelfer commented... Um, high sounding degrees to not do not impress anybody except newspapers, and they have it in this all just what we just talked about, and they have used it all before as their files will show about other institutes, all of which ended in the same way as I prophesy this one will in nothing, and that was that. So <laughs> a lot of haters out there for his work and kind yeah, of how we approach stuff. Let's go back and talk about some of the haters. Actually, uh, oh, absolutely. Let's see. Let me scroll. Uh, the psychologist Robert Baker and the skeptical investigator Joe Nickel uh, wrote in most cases, Fodor discovered that ghosts are pure inventions of the haunties subconscious and praised Fodor's book, The Haunted Mind, as vastly entertaining. However, Fodor's belief that some poltergeist phenomena could be explained as psychokinesis has drawn criticism, which I take umbrage with. Um, Henry Gordon has stated that parapsychologists such as Fodor and William G. Roll took a speculative approach to the poltergeist subject, ignoring the rational explanation of deception in favor of a belief in the paranormal. Uh, we all know uh, how much I think the human mind is capable of a lot of shit that we do not understand. Oh, and that, yeah. You know, uh, agreed. We've done experiments with things like remote viewing and shit mm -hmm. where we've mm -hmm. like proved to ourselves at least yeah. that, uh, you know, you can't just dismiss all of this stuff right out of hand. Right. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, we talk about it and we've talked about it before intention, right? I mean, you know, if you have this positive forward thing, if it's in your mind, you know, I, I, again, things come to fruition. It's, I, you know, I don't know. It, it's hard to explain, but we, like you said, we witnessed it. And in my life of seeing things, um, yeah, very, I, don't tell me I have not seen what I've seen. I, I, I know what I saw. Right. But yeah, that's the thing. Well, that, and, and the world is just a lot more fun if the, if psychokinesis is a, a possibility. <laughs> you wouldn't, that be so <laughs> badass. Oh my God. Um, yeah, no, good call. And then Harry, so Harry Price, we had that name earlier. Um, he was one of the first founding members of that, uh, the psychical research in Britain, um, again, original Ghostbusters type thing. Uh, and uh, it's interesting because I actually have, I, so I get that email or it's a newsletter. Sorry, not an email. It's like a newsletter monthly. Well, they'll send, you know, and you can sign up for like, you know, virtual courses that the different professors that still belong to that group take. Um, man, I'll tell you the wealth of information and books and research and papers that they have to be sitting on with over a hundred years of research and everybody that was involved. I would, I would, man, if you want to get something for Christmas, give me a ticket to go over there and spend like a week locked up in a library somewhere. I mean, I yeah, would, no I would love, I can't even imagine, you know, wealth of information, I'm sure. But, uh, but there was two, so, uh, going to cover two cases here that were actually, we're going to, and we're going to finalize with kind of the movie that Josh and I are talking about. Cause that actually was the case. Um, if you do look into this, you listen to this episode, trust me when you get online, uh, it is covered with this movie. Like it's really, it was really hard to find some of this stuff because it's all about the movie. It's all about the movie. Um, you got to dig a little bit, but there's stuff out there. So anyway, uh, so two of Fodder's important investigations were to have far-reaching results, which um, actually the, he was known for these towards the latter end of his life. These were the Ash Manor Ghost and the Thornton Health Poltergeist, uh, fully reported in folders, The Haunted Mine. Again, we covered that. It was in 1936, and he investigated the strange, dramatic story of the Ash Manor Ghost in which seemed that the hauntings took place because of abnormal sexual relationships in the family concerned, which titillating, right? Um, suppressed yeah. sexual energies appeared to provide an atmosphere in which a phantom could continue to manifest. Amazingly enough, the basic diagnosis of the case was through the spirit guide of a brilliant medium whom Fodder brought into the case. This medium was Mrs. Eileen J. Garrett. He was later to head the Parapsychology Foundation in America soon after this case. Um, the Thornton Health Poltergeist, which he started to investigate February 1938, was a sensational affair of a woman who produced remarkable poltergeist phenomena and appeared to be the victim of... Wait for it. Vampirism. 
So there's that. Whatever the objective nature of the phenomena, Fodor soon found that their occurrence was intimately related to the personal problems of the woman concerned. This presented a peculiar difficulty, as Fodor wrote in The Haunted Mind. Quote, The physical researcher to force to view his subjects as material for investigation, but not necessarily as human beings. The psychoanalyst can go further. His aim is to analyze, to find the fault, and then, if possible, to heal and bring about a new adjustment to life. Uh, As an experimenter observer, it would have been unethical to change to an analyst-patient relationship without fully understanding and in agreement of... So basically all that. So before Fodder could resolve this delicate situation, again, because this has things to do with like sexual innuendos, why this is happening, which a side note. In a fairly closeted time when it comes to that kind of stuff. Good point. Very closeted time. On a side note, there was, what was it? Oh God, I got to remember. I'll remember. There was an actual very famous documented case of a gal who swore to God she got, she would get, Raped, basically, by an entity. Oh, no, it's called The Entity is the name of the movie. But she wrote a book. Um, She got together with an author, and they actually wrote a book and detailed the case. Um, So, I don't know, not all offhand, you know, to be honest with you, as far as, you know, what he's seeing, what he's trying to say this is. Um, But before, uh, let me see, where was that? So his own position is research officer of the International Institute of Psychical Research. Word of his sexual theories and findings leaked out, and this bracketed with his vigorous exposure of mediumistic frauds aroused intense antagonism. Intense. Well, pissed a lot of people off. In obscure work consciousness creative Boston in 1937, uh, which actually was a, a piece that he wrote, he had contributed an essay which stated, quote, for reasons of public propriety, mediumship is very seldom discussed from its most important angle, that of sex. So that's all he had to say. And there <laughs> was a lot of people who went, whoa, what? <laughs> and so yep. he, he had a lot of people. He had this guy that uh, was the popular spiritualist press in Britain, Horace Leaf, uh, the famous medium uh, who actually was an author, sorry, that was a famous medium, um, came to the defense of Fodder. He's one of the only ones that came to the defense of him. Uh, quote, owing to peculiar nature of the subject, Dr. Nandor Fodder wisely restricted its publication to quarters which guaranteed that it would be read only by those interested in the more technical and scientific aspects of mediumship. In other words, he did the right thing. He only released it in this thing. But, man, there's a yeah, lot of people. trying to keep it from being, like, sensationalized or... Exactly. Yeah, because that's exactly what happened to it. Right. Um, And again, I bring up that case called the entity of that one guy because, you know, he's not the only one that is putting this together with something else. There's been other cases in his. Well, and I mean, that's just psychoanalysis of the the time, too. Like Freud Mm -hmm. was thought everything came back to like weird sexual things oh you know, yeah like, that's right good point like yeah, 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 yeah. like uh it was either about uh wanting to fuck your mom or your dad or something like that yeah, yeah. that's that's why you're your mom, fucked up your dad for fucking your mom or yeah, i yeah. don't know i didn't i have not full disclosure <laughs> i have not read a lot of uh of freud's, freud's work <laughs> work um but yeah. i the interesting thing about all that though is like people who i'm also going to assume a large number of haven't read Freud's work either uh, think of him as this like paragon of wisdom and like right, uh, right. Uh, like this great father of modern psychology dude was high off his fucking tits on cocaine oh, yeah, he was. all the goddamn time yeah. he loved it so much he just gave it to friends and That's family so it's like this shit rules <laughs> um, and uh, like his best friend and colleague uh, Carl Jung was all about UFOs and shit like that too mm-hmm. like He's the guy that gave us the wonderful term synchronicity, you know? Oh, yeah. Meaningful coincidence. Yep, yep, um, yep. And, and a lot of people who have actually read both people's work uh, think that Young was the brighter of the two, the smarter of the two, and that he kind of like just it, went along it, with a lot of the shit yeah. that Freud said because yeah, he didn't yeah. want to hurt his feelings. Isn't basically. that funny how that goes down in history? But that's exactly what happened. You know, it just It's crazy. People don't read shit like that. But agreed. No, I mean, everything was sexual frustration. Not everything, but a lot of his tactics was like, oh, your dad yeah, put his finger like where? Yeah, if you enjoy smoking cigars, you have a, a dick a, a phallic, Yeah, a phallic fetish or fucking whatever. Any, anyway, yeah. you know, it's a good point. Good point brought up. But um, anyway, so those were some of the cases, the ones we covered in the beginning with the Poltergeist and the Thornton. But this one here we wanted to cover, not really in depth, but a little bit more, uh, because it 
it's weird. And this is what the movie's based off of. And then we can, you know, we can wrap up his life and we can kind of, you know, we can shoot the shit about the movie a little bit. Um, which surprised me that, you know, they actually made a movie about this case. I mean, I'm, I'm delighted they did, but I'm like, wow, how'd you, how'd you pitch that? Because I just, yeah. Well, oh, whatever. Dude, yeah. Uh, I, I'm just going to throw this out here now, even though we're going to get into the movie in depth in a minute. Um, mm. Cause I don't want to forget, but it's uh, the studio or production house. I don't know what you call it. That mm. made it is that Legion M uh, which is basically Kickstarter GoFundMe for movies. Like oh, really? Oh, I didn't know it's that. Made, yeah, it's okay. like they, they get the funding for shit from fans, basically. Oh, wow. Um, mm. And so that's a big part of why this got made is like. That's uh, cool. That's really cool. It was cool. fan funded. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. I guess is how that works. I don't know exactly how it works. And a lot of the stuff they make is not great. Right. Um, because. Well, because. It's, yeah. you know. What, they, it's what anybody wants get, to see. Right. Well, and they can't always get people of this caliber involved in it, right? Like you had an actual good director, you had an mm-hmm. actually great mm-hmm. cast, you know. You anyway. did, yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Well, it's just like a twenty four. That's kind of how they kicked off too. Now look at them. I mean, I, I'll watch anything that a twenty four produces, you know. So. Yeah, because at the very least, it's going to be interesting. Yes, yeah. I think Mandy with Nicolas Cage was the first a twenty four movie I watched, and I was like, "Holy shit, I can't turn uh, away." I think the <laughs> first is- one I watched was. Uh, the last black man in San Francisco, and that movie is fucking incredible. Is it like, really? Oh, I gotta check dude, that out. I've never seen that. Yeah. It's not the kind of movie I normally like. Right, like right. it's it's a it's basically a drama. Um, mm. Okay, and it's like an art house movie. Right, um, but it's a true story. Like the dude that plays one of the main characters wrote it, and I think directed it. Um, and it's about him basically kind of being homeless in. Uh, san francisco Mm. like a while back it's the soundtrack is amazing everything about it is phenomenal it was the first thing that i ever saw jonathan majors in i gotta check it out Um, i gotta check it out i never yeah it's amazing dude that's cool well no it's just neat and that's some good reference points too um we'll we'll talk about that we'll get in the case but basically this is back to what we're back to what we're supposed to be talking about jesus christ we both got add i swear to christ so um (laughs) sometime around 1933 two teenage cousins harry hall and will kuban paid a visit to a new friend of theirs named jeff and just to reiterate, when I when we mention the word the name Jeff, it's a G E F, not your traditional spelling. Um, it, it's kind of funny why. So anyway, so Jeff lived in a remote windswept farmhouse on the Isle of Man. He was very shy, and the cousins could hear and talk to him, but never saw their new friend. From behind a wall, Jeff would guess heads or tails when a coin was flipped, or play catch with a rubber ball through a hole in the attic ceiling. But soon, Jeff began misbehaving, spitting and threatening the boys uh, that he would wet on their head. Jeff, it turns out, was no normal boy. He was a poltergeist in the form of a talking mongoose. Yes, if we haven't lost you already, um, there you go. Stick Just stick with it. Bear with us, folks. Anyway, yeah, so talking mongoose. Um, so Darulish Keshin, the farmhouse where Jeff resided, was in many ways a stereotypical haunted house, um, sat on an ancient farmstead. Uh, again, Isle of Man, you know, Ireland has tons of, folk fairy tales anyway so there's that to do with it sets right on the sea uh anyway so the couple that actually um in 1970 1917 married couple james and margaret irving moved into the house basically the dorish and cashing uh where they soon joined by baby daughter vory and after several years of peace jeff suddenly appeared uh, one fateful evening in September 1931, following an outbreak of strange tapping sounds, a creature let out a series of growls from the upstairs attic. The Irving family went to investigate. The growls soon turned to gurgling sounds, as James Irving would later recall in a 1937 interview, like those of a baby learning to talk. So, of course, fascinated. One would be, yeah. right? Um, you know, he went to teach a creature English, even though he's not seeing the creature, uh, saying yeah. words out loud for Jeff to repeat like parrot like fashion back to him. And Jeff was grateful. And so he started teaching this thing that he wasn't sure what it was, uh, how to talk. Uh, so in a letter Irving wrote in 1934, Irving recounted Jeff saying, for years, I could understand all that was said. I tried to talk, but couldn't until you taught me. Hmm. So, with his newfound language skills, Jeff told Irving he was a ghost of a mongoose. Uh, he had been born in Delhi, India on Monday, June 7th, 1852. Quote, and I shall haunt you with weird noises and clanking chains, unquote, 
Irving recalled Jeff declaring in the same <laughs> 1937 interview. I shit you not. I'm not making this up. But Jeff also had a mean streak. Uh, he said Jeff once spied Margaret disrobing before bed. Oh, back to sexual innuendos. He called out right. the name of each item of clothing or underclothing as she removed them. That's not fucking weird at all. Anyway, yeah. um, all this was a, a, to add up, uh, but things got even stranger. So February 1937, this is where... Mr. Fodor comes into play. Hungarian-born psychoanalyst Nandor Fodor uh, turned up on the Isle of Man to investigate. Uh, and if you watch the movie, again, we'll talk about it. It was actually uh, Christopher Lloyd's character that got him involved. He said, look, I'm right. not saying it's real, but this is what happened, and you probably should make a trip out there. Um, well, and his cool character, scene. who is also a real person whose name I can't think of. Right yeah, now. I can't off the top of my head, no. Um, but anyway, he initially went and investigated. Prior, um, right. And uh, yeah, because they didn't initially call Fodor in because he's skeptical, right? Yeah. And he's like last thing they need during a talking mongoose that's supposed to be a. <laughs> yeah, well, like he's he's he, he would go there to prove it's not real, right? 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 Yeah, for sure. Um. Anyway, so um, so Fodor repeatedly interviewed the Irvings, particularly James Irving, compiling a thorough account of Jeff the Talking Mongoose in his 1951 book, Haunted People, Story of the Poltergeist. Uh, Fodor had some creative Freudian influence ideas, which we discussed around the origins of Poltergeist. Um, that eventually led him to Jeff. So that's where we're at. Fodor ditched the theory that Poltergeist were visible spirits of the dead. Da, 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 we covered that. Uh, and then everything else. So... Stories about Jeff the Talking Mongoose had already been widely published in British newspapers, making the ghostly mammal a perfect subject for Fodor to investigate. Uh, Fodor arranged to lodge in the Irving's farmhouse for a week, uh, hoping to interview Jeff personally. During this time on the Isle of Man, Fodor investigated the scenes of Jeff's antics, diligently interviewed witnesses, and tried his best to communicate with the beast himself. But Jeff wasn't fucking having it. He didn't want to do anything with this with Fodor whatsoever. Um, and he never got to meet the mongoose at all. So in the end, um, Fodor basically wrote the mongoose a goodbye letter, which is weird in itself, but okay. Uh, Jeff <laughs> yeah, could, read could read too. Yeah, he could read too. Let's add that in there. Um, a quote, very dis- I am very disappointed you did not speak to me, he wrote. Nonetheless, I believe you to be a very good and generous mongoose, and I brought you chocolate and biscuits. So at the end of this whole weird thing, um, ultimately, Fodor concluded that Jeff had been projected from the bored mind of James Irving, an intelligent and educated man who had formerly enjoyed a more lively life on the British mainland. When Irving died, stories of Jeff also faded. Despite all the bizarre stories surrounding Jeff, no concrete evidence has ever been uncovered about the mongoose's origins or source. Were the Irvings suffering from a communal delusion? Was Jeff a manifestation of his mind? We don't know, but that's kind of you know what's cool about the movie. Um, and then to add, just to kind of wrap up his life again, you know, he's getting of age at this point. Um, but during the last period of his life, Photo considerably modified some of his earlier attitudes, which was interesting, um, and just some of the views. And he actually had uh, what they call an avowal in a Psychic Observer article in 1943. Um, and this, again, a quote from Fodor. My attitude to psychical phenomena has undergone a tremendous change since I left England. There I was, a psychical investigator following the routine techniques, a free hand for the researchers, none for the medium. Now I am a psychologist, and my attitude is exactly the opposite. I a free hand for the medium, none for the researcher. So, interesting quote, you know, what he was. Yeah. Um, he confessed he had no more joy in tying up mediums and exalting and trying to basically debunk everybody. He says, I now, uh, I see now physical research has tried to be too scientific for years and has gone bankrupt as a result. Uh, mediums do not function well if they are used as guinea pigs. They are human beings with the same virtues and vices as the researchers themselves. Uh, interesting, because when I caught mm-hmm. that, I made that note. I, I was looking around to try to find out. Was there something, was there a catalyst that caused him to get to this point of thinking? And I couldn't find anything. I couldn't find a, a case or anything. It just, you know, as he got older, he just like, oh, well, I'm going to quit yanking these guys' chain. They are who they are, basically. Yeah, so there's that. Um, yeah. But he wrote, at the end of the day, he wrote nine books um, and great um, tons of articles. In 1962, his book, Mind Over Space, 
uh, reviewed the strange phenomenon of teleportation. At the time, his death was his final work. Um, the Voice Within, a study of Freud's early years, was unpublished. And so that's one that still sat on the shelves before he, when he passed. Uh, on May 17, 1964, Dr. Forder himself crossed the frontier of that great unknown, which he had studied and investigated for so many years in his life. So, um, you know, yeah, well, a good life. You know? Yeah, and I mean to kind of go back to his like shift in attitude there in his later years. Mm-hmm. Um, I to me it makes sense, right? Because there is a there's a big part of this that people who are trying to research it, whether they're trying to debunk it, mm-hmm. just want to know more about it, or trying to explain it, or whatever. Right? There's there's a huge aspect to it that does not work well with the scientific method and that is that there is just a trickster element to paranormal phenomena that just oh good point is there there is a huge part of it and there's nothing you can do about it and it doesn't work well for like Mm -hmm. repeatable lab results right you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like like how during in the movie whenever someone who wanted to actually investigate jeff and was thinking about debunking it jeff would fuck with them and disappear and all that shit right yeah 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 and and you see that like going back to the ghost hunter TV shows and all that shit, right? Like aside from the boredom of like most of the time, nothing happens. There's also the trickster aspect to it where a lot of times you're going to get unexplainable shit that looks close enough to someone faking it mm-hmm. that like, yeah, good point. That could yeah. be the explanation, yeah. but it's just not. You well, know what I mean? here it is too. And to piggyback off that you, you're so number one, this is our, our I, and again, my, here's Shane's story. This is a flaw of studying this kind of science. And yes, I'm going to use the word science because it absolutely is. I'm so, you know, you can talk about friends, you, whatever you want to do, but you know, you and I have been doing this long enough. We've, we've been, you know, involved in this stuff our whole lives. Um, it is a science. I, you can, you call whatever you want, but it's a science. But we as human beings, because we know our ecosystem and what we are, we look at things like a human being would look at something. What, right? It's whether it's analytical. Yeah. This is a process. Oh well, he was here in the closet, so it makes sense that the ghost would go. And we view it like it is this proposed thing, like a when really it's not. And you talk about the trickster. That's the trickster part of it. You know, you who again? I I can't wait for quantum physics to kick off because I think a lot of that will help explain some of what ha- is happening in this science. Field because it's unpredictable. It's not, we lump it into a pattern. It's not a pattern. And that's what makes it so difficult to nail down because you just can't, you can't see it well, like that. Right. Like one of the few constants of like the paranormal phenomenon at large is that it fucking changes yeah. constantly. Metamorphs all the time. Like, yep. you know, like it used to be like in the sixties and seventies, every UFO sighting, you know, every witness ended up with like radiation burns and conjunctivitis and you never fucking hear about that anymore. Mm-hmm. Is it that we're not seeing UFOs or is it that the phenomenon changed? Cause it's likes to fuck with people. Right. Or is it that it's, you know, we're seeing just different people who's maybe have their fucking crafts reactors shielded better. Who fucking knows? Yeah. Right? Yeah. We yeah. Exactly. Maybe the aliens finally invented something that could, you know, da 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 da. And they're going to test. Yeah. They got it. a you know, catalytic converter for their spacecraft. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. But, but like, but that is like the one constant, right? It, besides mm-hmm. that, and like, if you really look at all the different aspects, they seem to be pretty well interlinked. Those are the two constants for me. Is like, yeah, agree. It's rare that you can't find some UFO activity around a Bigfoot sighting, and it's uh, vice versa. And it's rare that, uh, it, well, and, and the shit just changes all the time. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. No, no. But well, good point. I mean, and that really, and that's why you know this stuff. And the reason a lot of scientists probably debunk it and think that it's fringe and, oh, you're just running around looking for a ghost, huh? Because you can't do lab reports with this. You cannot set this up in a scientific – because in order to prove science, and that's where a lot of people say this is bullshit, is science needs to be proven. Once you find something, you do the experiment, then it has to be repeated in order to make that a thing. It, this this doesn't do this. So Which is – yeah, you know, and that's great. In a lab, that's yeah. great. Controlled, right? Reviewed. Yeah. 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 That's, it's great when you're dealing with like metallurgy mm-hmm. or, you know, 
something straightforward that's grounded, shit you can right. put your hands on, right? right. But right. It, it doesn't work for stuff like this. Like, I mean, even look at Uri Geller, right? Like, a lot of people think he's a fraud. I kind of lean that way. Um, I do too. <laughs> because a lot of, like, he got busted faking a lot of shit, and he's said some stuff that, like, you know... Didn't make him look good, right? That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, did he fake every single thing? And that's what's and that's what's so tough because yeah, it's just like now with technology, and we've talked about this before. Again, you know, CGI and effects and what you could do, boy. You know, I look at so many UFO videos and Bigfoot videos and chairs moving across the table and nobody's there. The first, now I'm so, like, I'm just so numb to it because I'm like, oh, well, that's probably, or that's, you well, know what like I mean? Well, it's like you scroll down the comments and within the first three, you're going to find one where it's like, oh, this video is actually from this From four years ago and it's da, 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 movie, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, yeah, 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 yeah. So it's all, a, it's all a fucking thing. But anyway, we digress. But that's the guy, that's the gentleman's life. Um, pretty amazing. In regards to the movie, again, and, you know, we'll talk a little bit. We don't have to go into detail. Um, it is, uh, again, Nando Fodar and the Talking Mongoose, um, I want to say came out like two or three weeks ago. The movie's well done. Number one, it's well shot. As far as yep. watching it, it does not look cheap. It looks like how they filmed everything. Um, it was on location. Simon Pegg, and it, it, again, I'm a fan of whatever he does, but you know the accent that he chose to pick, uh, Mini Driver is in it as well, if anybody remembers her. She's still gorgeous. She's still gorgeous, and she's a great actress. She's great at what she yep. does. She basically plays his apprentice of sorts. He's in what she goes out there with him. Um, to, you know, to look at this case again, Christopher Lloyd plays a big part of it, which is neat to see Christopher Lloyd in anything. I mean, I just fucking love that guy, but he yeah. plays, you know, a, a fellow scientist who, Hey, you should check this out. This is what we did. And he's kind of off and on in the movie throughout the movie. Um, but they go basically, you know, they go research this case and they're like, Oh yeah, fucking talking mongoose. This is full of shit. But there's a lot of. Not only just the case itself, but there's a lot of getting into the different characters. And not only the characters, but the entire town. Like, it really gets the thumb on... It wasn't just the Irvings that were doing this. Most of the town was actively involved. The entire uh, village, basically, almost everybody claims to have had an interaction with Jeff and is a believer, right? Yeah. But then he turns to... uh, one of my favorite parts and sorry spoilers skip ahead of a little bit but uh when he turns to the grant to their like their man their uh the dude who basically runs their farm for him yeah uh and he's like well what's your experience and he's like i haven't had an experience you and i both know this is bullshit and he's like oh what? yeah where they're walking out of the cave yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and he's like yeah. wait what did you say and the dude yeah. just smirks and walks off <laughs> that was the end of that <laughs> this is so funny yeah yeah good but show good show they, they do a really good job of like kind of I, and I, I guess this is probably more to do with like summing up his life in general, especially his kind of shift and attitude towards the end there. Mm-hmm. Um, but the movie does a great job of like leaving things a little bit ambiguous and not yes. saying like, this is a hundred percent. Right. This definitely happened. Like even the tagline is uh, based on possibly true events. Right. You know, right. yeah, I mean? they, they cover so. the bases for sure, which I thought was really cool. Again, you know, it, they left things kind of up in there purposely. I think, you know, the actors involved with what, you know, and they're, I, I think at the end of the day, they want so much to believe, but they, you know, that's anyway, check it out. Um, it's a really good show, but you know, stemming off that it doesn't take away from, um, Nando Fodor. I mean, the research he's done, what got him into this. I mean, he, I, it's, yeah. I know his name has come across our lips sometime before. I just don't, we just didn't put two and two together, you know? Yeah. So, you know, but yeah, there you go. Uh, it's a, it's entertaining movie. It's an hour and a half long. You know, it's not like uh, it's how a movie should investment. be. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to. Yeah, you don't have to block out three hours of your night. You don't yeah. have to. You know, there aren't like eight other movies you've got to watch to get understand the context of how this fits into the cinematic. Oh my universe god, I get so fucking like that, tired you know? of that. I, it's like, oh, you didn't see this cartoon, and this cartoon explains this show. No, no, I didn't see it, and I'm not going to. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> anyway, but uh, yeah, like, so there you go. Yeah, yeah. there's the story um, of the guy. Yeah, yeah. I, I would recommend watching the movie for sure, especially like a lot of times when something comes out that I want to see, I'll wait till it's free because I already spend enough money on like cable and yeah, fucking I'm, I'm Disney Plus way. and right, right, what the right. fuck else ever, you know? Yeah. Um, but uh, movies like this, I feel like are worth paying for because I would have seen it in the theater if I'd had the chance. I was also, just going to say, yep, I was going to say I would have too. With it being like fan 
funded but for a large part and everything it's like yeah like this i hope this movie makes money and does well for everyone involved because like it's a passion project and it's one that i identify with yeah you know no yeah you and me both i loved it i love your recommendation so if you're like me and you uh try to wait until shit's free this is one that's worth just paying for (laughs) yeah yeah, agreed. Agreed. And and again, you know, like I said, wonderful individual um, for the story that it's covered. Uh, just well done. Well done. So there you go. There's a story. So hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Uh, again, you know, there, there's tons of characters in our history that I think we just, we overlook. And he's one of them, you know, because he did make a very, he made huge contributions into the research of this stuff early on. And, uh, and you know, especially with the poltergeist idea, you founded a lot of this. And, you know, to his credit, that alone should be worthwhile, you know, to research a guy. So, so anyway, but yeah, there you go, man. You got a, you got anything else on your side? Oh, I think we, we, I know (laughs) we usually cover same thing. (laughs) So we, Halloween is soon approaching. This probably will drop a few days before. Um, I, I don't know if we're going to have like, you know, maybe we'll throw an audience out there about like. Halloween. I don't know. We kind of exhausted all of this shit for Halloween, to be honest with you. So I'm like, eh, yeah, I don't know I what to do. You know, can't talk about how there's never actually poison candy for another fucking year. Yeah, there's that. So anyway, you know, but if you guys got a story, you've got something by all means. Again, we have a few more and then we're going to wrap it up for the season probably for, you know, at least a month and a half, if not two. We'll recharge, we'll come back, we'll reinvent, um, and then we'll go from there. But, uh, yeah, so if you have something for us, you can write us, strangejugglesgmail.com. You can call us, 801-252-6945. Let us know. And then, uh, of course, we're on socials. Um, Yeah. 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 uh, You can find us at Strange Uncles Podcast on, uh, shit, Instagram and Facebook. Um, You can find us at Strange Uncles on Twitter. Um, you can find our YouTube channel on YouTube. Um, I think that's about it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that's where we're yeah, at. Yeah, none so. of us really, neither of us really keep up with the DMs very well. So if you want to get a hold of us, the best way is the phone number or the email. Yeah, for sure, for sure. But anyway, we're going to give you guys some time back. Thank you for listening, and we will catch you on the flip side. Stay strange, everyone. <laughs>